If you are a Christian, have you ever wondered how life would be if you chose to be an atheist? Or if you were born in a Muslim family? If you are not a Christian, what would change if you had embraced Jesus as Lord and Saviour? Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today, I review What's Your Worldview? An Interactive Approach to Life's Big Questions by James N. Anderson. 112 pages published by Crossway in January 2014. When this book was published, it was awarded World Magazine's Popular Theology Book of the Year. It's now available for $7.99 via Amazon Kindle and free via Faith Life for the month of May. Yes, for a limited time, only for this month, you can get this book for free through Faith Life. So just stop whatever you're doing and get this book. Before Game Boys, I played game books. Game books are page turners, literally. You are a warrior searching for treasure in the forest. A troll ambushes you. What do you do? To fight, turn to page 10. To flee, turn to page 37. You turn the pages to eventually know how your story ends. Storybooks give you immersion. Game books give you immersion and decisions. Can we use game books not to explore a make-believe world, but to explore beliefs and worldviews? You are a man or a woman searching for meaning in the world. Suddenly, a professor of theology and philosophy ambushes you. What do you believe? Is there a God? If you say yes, turn to page 10. If you say no, turn to page 37. You then turn the pages to eventually discover your worldview. Who was that professor of theology and philosophy who ambushed you? The writer of today's book, Dr. James Anderson, is a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary and is also an ordained minister in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. He has not one, but two PhDs. The first PhD was in computer simulation. The second PhD explored the paradoxical nature of certain Christian doctrines and the implications for the rationality of Christian faith. What that means is that with the power of his two PhDs, Dr. Anderson has seen a million possible worlds, a multiverse of madness, and reveals that there is only one worldview that truly explains the reality you and I live in. The first cosmic-level question he throws at you is, do you have the power to make free choices? And in just 200 or so words, Anderson takes this head-spinning philosophical question and breaks it down to our street level. The chapter begins with chips or salad, Diet Coke or Dr. Pepper, dine-in or take-out. And he continues in that chapter to give us just enough background for us to understand and attempt the question. 
do you have the power to make free choices? Yes or no? Turn to the corresponding page of your choice. Once you have made your choice, you are set on a predetermined path that branches off into more questions until you reach a destination. That destination is one of 21 possible worldviews listed in this book. And based on your choices, this is what you believe. Or is it? Let's do one question in depth to see how this book works. Let's consider the knowledge question. Is it possible to know the truth? Anderson sets up the question, I quote, Most people would agree that we have intellectual faculties, such as reason and perception, that allows us to investigate matters of interest to us and to discover the truth about those matters. Even if we don't have absolute certainty about most things, we can still know a great deal about ourselves and the world around us by using our intellectual faculties in responsible ways. Later, Anderson writes, other people, however, take a much lower view of the human mind. They insist that even if there is objective truth about important matters, no one can really know what it is. Everyone has his own opinions, and some of those opinions may happen to be true, but no one's opinions are more or less reasonable than anyone else's. Certainly, no one has any right to say she knows the truth. We are all mired in ignorance, and the sooner we accept that, the better. The question posed in this chapter is, is it possible to know the truth, at least some truth? If you say yes, go to this page. If you say no, go to that page. What's your answer? And I would like to think that you are saying you, you are thinking that the answer is yes. Of course, it's possible to know the truth or some truth. But just for fun, out of idle curiosity, let's explore the other answer. What if it's not possible to know the truth, even some truth? So I turn to that page and I'm greeted in big letters, worldview skepticism. And Addison proceeds to explain that skepticism is attractive because it's humble to say, I don't know. But skepticism is wrong because it's hubris to say, nothing can be known. First, what you say is not consistent with how you live. If you truly believe that there is no possibility to know things, then, quote, our everyday decisions and actions would be pointless and worthless, end quote. Second, it is self defeating. Quote, if you want to be a consistent skeptic, you should be as doubtful about skepticism as you are about everything else. End quote. After hearing that, do you want to reconsider your answer? And that's easy to do because every worldview in this book ends with an invitation to go back to the earlier question. Before I knew it, I finished the book, meaning I went through every possible path in the book. And I just want to say that it's been a long time since I finished 100% of a game. I could read out all the questions you would encounter in the book, but that would just spoil it. It would kill the fun. 
Not knowing what questions will come up is part of the reading experience. The experience of surprise and delight. Oh, I didn't expect him to ask this question. At least not so soon. Hmm, if I answer it in this way, what would be the outcome? Or, I didn't realize that if I believe in this, then it also means that I believe in that. I didn't know that these two things were related. And along the way, as uh, we answer these questions, Anderson is giving us enough rope to hang ourselves with, meaning his questions prompt answers where we incriminate ourselves, where we find that what we claim to believe is inconsistent with how we live or how we would like to think we live. In the hands of another author, you might feel bullied by the incessant questions and manic compulsion to take a position. Is it yes? Is it no? Um, You have to choose and make a choice now. But in the hands of James Anderson, it is all in good fun. It is a game. It is an intellectually satisfying puzzle where you can trace the logical cause and effect every step of the way. When he asks a question, he doesn't stack the deck to make you choose the quote-unquote the correct answer, the Christian answer. But he poses it in a neutral way, at least in the start, such that the way that all the choices are reasonable. Okay, He gives reasons why people might make different choices. But reasonable does not mean that it's true. People have reasons to believe that the earth is flat. That doesn't mean that it's true. If you're worried that Anderson's book might end up like one of those small group sessions where everyone shares an opinion, but nobody has a conclusion, then be assured that Anderson in this book has a conclusion. As Anderson tells us up front, everyone has biases. Anderson is a seminary professor, he is an ordained minister, but more importantly, he is a Christian. So he can't and mustn't end on the note that all religions are true, all paths lead to God. That's pluralism, pluralism, by the way, and that's not Christianity. His Christian bias shows up not just in what he considers as the correct worldview, which he makes clear that there is a correct worldview, it also comes up when he evaluates and comments on other worldviews. Um, Anderson asks, can a God that is less than purely good be worthy of the title God? In another place, he asks, would a God who is neither personal nor perfect be worthy of our love and our worship? Now, these are Christian presuppositions. If I was a non-Christian, I would argue back. Why not? Why can't God be flawed like the Greek gods or the Norse gods or the Egyptian gods? Why should God desire our love or worship? Can't he be, I mean, have sufficient self-esteem that he doesn't need to feel uh, puffed up by his creation? It is what it is. Now, having said that, would a non-Christian even open this book? It's so obviously a Christian book designed to challenge worldviews. And that sounds as enticing as jumping into a pool of thumbtacks. The appeal to non-Christian here 
is the truth is packaged in an interactive back and forth, coming with a friendly tone and intellectual honesty. He sets up the question as briefly and as fairly as he can. Then he responds to your answer by admitting the attractiveness of the position, but also the problems that arises. If you're not a Christian, you might object that Anderson has exaggerated the problems, but you really can't expect too much from a short 100-page book that covers from atheism to Unitarianism. You might also object that maybe it's too simplistic or that your worldview is not covered or some other objections. To his credit, Anderson preempts many of these objections in the appendix of the book, which includes a straightforward answer to those who question the Christian bias in the book. The intellectual honesty is not just in how he brings out opposing views, while at the same time asserting his own convictions. That is hard to do. But perhaps harder now than ever is being able to set boundary markers without being called a bigot. Saying that this is what we believe, this is what you believe, and what you believe is wrong. Is it possible to draw a battle line without engaging in battles? Yes, if you role-play it. The same way how gamers can take turns playing terrorists and counter-terrorists. So, in a unique way, the format of the book allows non-Christians to explore worldviews, maybe discovering their own and understanding others without being defensive or antagonistic about it. After finishing the book, I actually wondered whether a choose-your-adventure approach could be used to explore the different cults and denominations within Christianity. But how would you arrange the cults and denominations so that you could separate them with one question after another? Consider, what is the one big question that would separate Roman Catholics from Baptists? Because it's not just one, isn't it? I mean, you have lots of questions. <laughs> or one question to distinguish between Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons. I think it's not easy to design a series of questions that would put each group in their place. And so after thinking how difficult it is, if not impossible it is to do it for groups within Christianity, I gain a new appreciation for Anderson's success in this book. He makes it look so easy. I have mentioned at length how non-Christians would receive this book because I think the book's format makes it a curious novelty for even the most hostile of readers. But now let's turn to the Christian reader. Christians in general will like the book because it affirms what you always believe to be true. And it's always nice to have our Christian biases confirmed by other Christians. <laughs> But I want to zoom in to a particular subgroup of Christians that I think will greatly benefit from this book. And these are people who grew up in Christian homes, Sunday schools, youth meetings, and churches, and who feel like they have never had a real choice in what to believe. They are taught from young, some would say brainwashed, that other worldviews, beliefs, and religions are not just wrong, but often evil. Then, as it often happens, they meet people outside of church who are kinder, smarter, more sincere and more open than the people they know in church. And they have a reverse 
road to Damascus encounter, a pagan epiphany. There is no progress for the pilgrim. They deconstruct their faith. They conclude that Christianity is irrational. They come out of the church and celebrate their deconversion. What if, before all that happened, they were able to explore other worldviews without feeling conflicted or guilty about reading, a Cor- about reading the Quran or listening to Richard Dawkins? Maybe by making it forbidden, the church has also made these worldviews attractive and more powerful than they really are. This book, um, What's Your Worldview? An Interactive Approach to Life's Big Questions, allows you to enter so-called forbidden worldviews. You pick up a worldview just as you would play a role in a game. And as you run through this simulation, you see how it ends. And thus, you save yourself from what was at first an enticing worldview, but in reality, an intellectual, spiritual, anticlimactic dead end. In conclusion, this book is good for the non-Christian to enter the worldview of the Christian and to see how Christianity does make sense and how it is beautiful and where and how is it different from the other worldviews. This book is also good for the Christian to simulate, to role-play in an alternate worldview without losing the soul. This is a Reading and Readers review of What's Your Worldview? An interactive approach to life's big questions by James N. Anderson. 112 pages published by Crossway in January 2014. This book was awarded World Magazine's 2014 Popular Theology Book of the Year. It's available for $7.99 via Amazon Kindle and it's free via Faith Life for the month of May. If you like another book that you want to share with non-Christians, turn to episode 47 of Reading and Readers and listen to my review of Why Believe by Neil Shenvey. If you want a big book answer to the free choice question, you can turn to episode 7 to read my review on Providence by John Piper. If you want to read something completely different, perhaps how to read the Bible in more than one way, subscribe to Reading and Readers to get the next episode where I review Five Models of Scripture by Mark Reasoner, a book free from Logos for May. So get it in May without delay. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.